Welcome to the Normal to Nomad podcast, where we share stories, thoughts, ideas, and conversations on our journey to find balance with nature in a technologically advanced world. My name's Baron, And I'm Elsa. We've lived five years on the road in our 13-foot scamp trailer, exploring the backcountry of the West with our dog, Camp. Now, we dive into a new chapter as we build an off-grid home on our land in Colorado. Welcome back to another episode of the Normal to Nomad podcast. We've been gone for a minute, but we're back now. We're thinking we will start uploading these every other week, probably. Just so that we don't overwhelm YouTube, the YouTube feed. Yeah. You dig? Because just to see a bunch of those thumbnails might be a little jarring for people who aren't into the podcast. Facts. Not that we can please everybody. Today, we talk about food and health. And our diet throughout Scamp Life and how it has evolved and where it might go in the future. Where it, I think arguably it will go. Yes. I mean, hopefully. To begin, let's start before we lived in the Scamp. What did we eat? I wasn't especially health conscious pre... Okay, so what? We moved into the Scamp when I was 24. Is that yeah. right? Had you, had you been out of college for two years? I graduated college in 2013. We moved into the scamp in 2016. So I was never super health focused in college. My Almost focus, the opposite. Yeah, it was like <laughs> eating as little as I could was my focus. And as cheaply as possible. Yes. So I didn't ever... Organic was not on in my wheelhouse. Vegetables, not so much in my wheelhouse. What about you? Um, I don't really know what I ate. I ate a lot of pasta back then. Yeah, mac and cheese. Yeah, lots of mac and cheese, just carbs for Cheap. days. Yeah, college food. Yeah, just whatever. Because with pasta, I could just buy a full thing of spaghetti and a thing of sauce. Oh, that's right. And you would always make that when I came over. And to your a whole house. bag of cheese, and then I would just eat <laughs> that, and I'd eat like once a day, just all the calories. And then eat apples for the rest of the day. Did you drink coffee then? Yeah, but not, I didn't really start drinking as much coffee until Alec and I started working together, I don't think. Maybe a little bit. No, before that I still did. Did you drink much alcohol in college? College age? Uh, uh, just occasionally. I would never, I would never go buy like a six pack to just drink a beer while I'm doing things. It was always just socially. That's kind of interesting because now at this age, it seems like a lot of people will just buy a six pack casually. But mm -hmm. yeah, I never did that in college either. Maybe because you're buying so many six packs all the time because you're drinking all the time socially. Mm -hmm. Well, and if I'm being honest, it was more like you're going for the bang for the buck more than yeah. just Ooh, a, like, enjoying um, a beer like Barton's. What were those flavored <sighs> vodkas? I think it was Barton's, wasn't it? Was it? I don't know. Let's not talk about Disgusting. it. I'm about to puke just thinking of it. Yeah, so health wasn't really super duper on our minds as younger people until we met a new group of friends in Kansas City. And they were very diet conscious. Very much um, like what? What were some of the more striking things? Like it was mostly corn that was just a no-no. And... I don't know. Well, there's so many things to avoid in our food these days that back then I was like, you're kind of being ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like there's I no way that, that you're allergic to everything in the world. But realistically, a lot of us or maybe all of us are or reacted adversely to most of the things that we eat. So it makes more sense now, but back then I was like, you're being dumb. And that's why we all have levels of chronic inflammation, constant fatigue, and just different autoimmune issues, body ailments. One of the reasons is yeah. diet. And I think that would be probably high on the list of... Did I say it's the reason? Because I think I meant to say it's one of. Yeah, I think you did. But okay. I mean, either way, you're pretty close to right at least. Because all these things we're about to get into... We are talking from our own experience. We're not trying to say that anybody is doing anything right or wrong, and we're not trying to diagnose anything. So do take what we say 
with a grain of salt. Not too much salt, though, because then that's not good for no, you. No, I love salt. <laughs> no, I eat I'm a lot kidding. of salt. I'm just kidding. Salt in, like, whole form. I add salt to things because of uh, fasting and electrolytes and stuff. We'll get into that, I suppose. But we, anything that we say is our current opinion, and our opinions have changed over and over again throughout time. So we're not at all clinging to this information. Some of what we say could be wrong in your eyes and could be wrong in our future eyes. So Every body is so different. Yeah. And as science evolves and people learn new things, things that used to be healthy become not healthy, like the food pyramid, for example, is uh, pretty laughable at this point. So Why is that? Uh, I guess because it depends whole, on what you're doing. The bottom, the entire bottom of the triangle yeah. is... I feel like the whole thing was just designed by Kellogg's. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I remember sitting with my box of cereal because of the advertisements. <laughs> Have I already said this juice? in a podcast? I don't think so. I but. made, uh, I mean, the food pyramid is on the back of the cereal box, right? So I'm eating frosted flakes or something, a bowl of it. Then you got to have your toast, more bread with it. Get your sugary orange juice. And maybe I made, like had sliced apples or something next to it because that is the... That's the picture that they show on the back of the cereal boxes. Yeah. I think right above the bread category is, is that meat and cheese up above that? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I think meat's higher up. I haven't looked at the classic food pyramid yeah, in a long time. Yeah, we're not food pyramid experts, but definitely no. probably don't fill most of your diet with bread. But you're welcome to if that's what you think is great. And it depends on what kind of bread you're eating. Like sourdough can be good. Everything is, this is the problem. Like everything's super nuanced. A lot of people have really strong opinions on food and get like really passionate and tribal about their diets and what they're eating and stuff. So we're not trying to offend anybody. We're just speaking from our experience and the research that we've done. And if we like make you angry, then sorry about it. That's not at all our intention. So. Some of the practices, getting back to our friends and um, what they taught us, and it they they weren't just uh, no corn. It was very much choose the best quality foods by organic. No gluten. Yeah, and so we kind of adopted various elements of that. Stronger at different times, less strong at different times, but um, we stopped drinking any energy drinks and sodas and... We kind of traded our, I remember so viscerally after doing it for a while, just making healthier choices, choosing healthier options. Eating a Dorito was after like choosing the baked, I don't know. The Beanitos are good Dorito substitutes. So then you'd go back to a Dorito after having eaten the kind of healthier choice for so long. And the Dorito just tasted just, there's so much... um, Flavor. Flavor, and you can just tell that it's so processed, whereas before Doritos used to be one of my favorite chips, and I like to eat them from now, and, or now, and from from time to time, now and then. <laughs> I was trying to say those both at the same time. It's interesting how your palate adjusts over time. So, and I, another thing that I think we learned from that, and it was this group of friends and listening to the Tim Ferriss podcast and various other health and biohacking podcasts, but lemony sugar, that really made a big difference because I used to drink a Red Bull, like not every day, but if I was trying to get some work done, I'd go get me and Alec, my buddy that I was working with, a Red Bull, and then we'd get after it. But then after not drinking one for a long time and trying one, they're just like so much sugar. And then I'd crash so hard immediately after. So, yeah. We took major baby steps. Um in the beginning with all of that. And I mean, that's how it goes is you learn something and you put it into practice and then you continue on. I think though it's, that's about the only way that I could go. I think there are certain people that can just go like full on switch everything up at once. But I think it's a lot easier for my mental. It works a lot better to make incremental improvements over time and try things out and then see what sticks and what makes me actually feel better. Right. When we moved into the scamp, we had our little bit of health foundation. We'd been eating better for about a year. Um, But we didn't have a ton of money to be buying all of this 
whole foods, natural grocers, fancy, high quality food. So we learned quickly that food needs to be fuel. We chose foods like high fat foods, nuts, nut butters, coconut oils in all of our drinks, things that would satiate us for long periods of time, things that would fuel us throughout the day so that we wouldn't have to spend a bunch of money on foods that would just make us feel hungrier sooner. And that's when I had experimented with intermittent fasting my whole life. Without really knowing what you were doing. Right. Like it didn't have a name back then, I feel like. But whenever I would eat breakfast at home and it was like cinnamon toast, cinnamon sugar toast or um, pancakes or cereal, whatever, it's all just loaded with carbs and sugar. So I'd spike my insulin or that's how I understand it anyway. And then I would immediately get hungry like way before lunch. Whereas if I just didn't eat anything at all, then I wouldn't get hungry. So I just decided to not eat until lunch when I was younger and that worked a lot better for me. But then in the scamp, we started doing that too intentionally. And what we would do, and it was kind of like intermittent fasting mixed with ketosis to some extent. And we weren't getting into like, if you're a ketosis nerd and you're talking about like millimolars of ketones in your blood and all that, we weren't in nutritional ketosis probably almost ever, except for when we went crazy with it. But we would just eat like coconut oil in our coffee in the morning or butter and not eat anything else and just try to get as much fat into our system as we could and completely cut out any carbs or sugar. So no fruit even until later in the day. And that worked pretty well in the scamp initially Mm -hmm. because we could do it frugally. We were working with a very limited kitchen, as you all know. We, at that time, early days, we only had a BioLite cook stove. We didn't even get a cooler until like six months to a year in, which was quite silly. We had a crappy soft cooler for a minute, I think. Yeah, we did. Before the Yeti bag cooler even, we had just a crappy cooler. That was good enough to transport things that don't need to be cold from the grocery to home. So we were very limited in what we could cook, what we could keep in our cooler cold, what... um, what we could store after we cooked. So never, no leftovers ever. Uh, We cooked very much for two people, which was hilarious because like when your parents would come out and we'd need to cook for a group, it was always very challenging. Still is. You just get so used to cooking for the amount of people you have in your family. Now that we have a freezer though, it's not so bad. And this winter, the winter is always easier to cook, but those first couple of years, we didn't really do a full winter. We had... um, we ate very seasonally, still do, but we ate what was available to us seasonally. A lot of salads, sandwiches in the summer. In the winter, we ate a ton of soups, canned soups, things that we could cook just one can each on our little stove. That was really nice. Because then uh, in those winters, our sleep schedules were a little bit different because I was staying up late with stove and you were waking up early. And this year we've kind of like rounded that out, which kind of sucks, honestly, but we're getting through it because I'm not staying up super late um, because we just have so much more going on. Yeah. But um, it was nice because we just make our little soups up on top of the stove. And a lot of times we would add a lot to our soup. So we started doing canned chicken eventually, but that was a little later on. We, we would didn't add even, eggs. That was a late, late hack that yeah. probably would have been super nice earlier on. Ken introduced us to those, though, when, like, our first time camping. He introduced us to, like, bag tuna. Yeah, and pretty gnarly salmon and stuff, which, I mean, it's better than nothing, I think. Mm-hmm. Sardines, too. Um, I guess we touched already on keto and intermittent fasting, but another diet that we, we kind of explored, both intentionally and unintentionally, was a little bit of veganism. For about and, a year. And vegetarian. More yeah, I would say it was more vegetarian, but veganism was quite a trendy topic. So I think that was kind of the goal in my mind. I was under the assumption that it was better for the planet. So that was kind of the one of the bigger reasons why it felt good to do. And better for you. Uh, yeah, that's what it seemed at the time too. And there was like a a lot of documentaries and stuff coming out saying that any meat consumption is just terrible and all those things for both people and for the planet. And I think in 
like factory farms and stuff, that still rings true. Yeah. It's just, it's all balance. Like, I don't know. What also added to that was we were working on a farm for a couple seasons. So we were getting the best, highest quality organic produce, pulling it from the ground and eating it. So it was kind of like, why eat anything else but these vegetables? And we had so much of it. Mm-hmm. Like we had so much veggies and we had access to any of the veggies that other people weren't going to eat. Like if they got banged around or whatever, then we could just go grab them out of the cooler. So we had so much, so many vegetables that eating anything else didn't really make sense. And I would say that it did feel good to eat a ton of vegetables, like to do the whole vegetarian thing felt good because we hadn't been eating as many vegetables as we had up to that point. So I think getting all that fiber and nutrients from this high quality food harvested that very second before eating it, um, it felt great. It felt very good. How long do you think it continued to feel great? I don't know because I wasn't feeling very great hormonally at all. I had a, that was my very first winter after we started doing that, um, is when I started bullet journaling to try to track my cycle because my mood swings were just, it was insane. My cycles were all over the place at like, they hadn't been like that since I was on birth control and like I'd skip a day and my hormones would be just whack. It was pretty intense, but I don't think I correlated that with eating only vegetables. And I don't, I still don't know if that was the case, but um, it seems like that probably influenced it. It could have. Given how that stuff has improved now. For me, yes. Yeah. And we weren't really avoiding soy or anything like that at that time either, right? No, because soy is pushed f- for the vegetarian... For a meat substitute. ...kind of lifestyle. Yeah, it's a, a cheap meat substitute that has a bunch of protein. But as I started tracking my cycles... When I would eat soy during my luteal phase, which is the second half of my period, because I was tracking everything. Second half of your hormone cycle. Cycle, yes. Yes. The last two weeks of your cycle. I was tracking what I was eating, drinking, sleeping. I was tracking everything. And every time I would eat soy, the next day I would spot. And it just over and over again. Anytime I ate it. So kind of put it together that this is a phytoestrogen soy it's i don't know somebody there are people who know a lot more about this than i do but i think it it felt like it was almost tricking my body Uh, this is my theory because i've gone to the gynecologist and they just tell me to uh, get back on get back on birth control don't worry about it keep eating your soy um but I don't know. I, I, I've wondered if my body then was thinking, oh, here's a, an uptick of estrogen, so let's start your period early. I don't know. It just made me stop eating soy. It sounds crazy. Like, I never really believed in that kind of thing. Like, I know. That it, soy could modulate hormones. It just is kind of ridiculous. But in real life, we could watch it happen. You know, that was wild. Like even soy sauce or whatever, mm-hmm. you would eat it and then it's like, boom, like clockwork. Mm-hmm. And it, it got wild. to the point where we'd like experiment with it. And then it's like, oh, of course. Right. And I'm really glad I got to, I got to realize that and mm-hmm. realize how sensitive my body was to it. I, I eat soy now and it's always a, uh, well, I mean, I eat soy if we go get sushi when we're in Denver or mm-hmm. something. Uh, we have replaced soy, soy sauce with coconut aminos and it's not really anything that we think about. Soy sauce and coconut aminos, like if you're cooking though. Uh, they're different. Yeah. They're not at all the same thing. Yeah. But. Yeah. Know. Soy sauce is great. And I love uh, miso soup. Don't usually buy it though for this reason. But so I mean, tofu just stuff. like so many other things like dairy, we can talk about dairy later or whatever. Um. We have a section on all the things like this that we've learned. If you're eating the higher quality, raw, unprocessed dairy, that is absolutely better for you than eating the pasteurized, super processed, super cooked dairy that has nothing, um, no fat, no 
like there are there's levels of quality of all these foods if you eat the better one you're better off like it so there's good good quality fermented soy products that if i had access to them i don't know maybe what is that stuff that we got when we were in oregon that's like um fermented is that soy those patty things that we would cut up and eat for breakfast or whatever what is that stuff called what Remember we got at the farmer's market? They were in like little... Oh, tempeh. Tempeh, yeah. That's soy, right? I think his were not. This, I think, isn't it a grain? I don't know. I don't know that his were soy. That stuff was good. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, so anyway, soy is a big, big... um, Oh, this is such a spicy thing. Because soy is a really major part of um, people's diets. I had a friend who was going to come over and uh, I said, yeah, I'll make chicken tacos. And she said, well, I don't eat meat. How about we do soy tacos instead? And I said, well, I don't eat soy. So how about we just do vegetable tacos? And ever since then, I feel like I've been a bit judged because I would, I don't know. I, I know that there are so many people who hear this and say, who have her same outlook that I'm nuts. But for my body, that this is how this is how it seems to work for me and i feel that there's a big push for soy because soy is it is has a lot of protein whether that's absorbable and digestible i don't know it's cheap and pretty it's easy cheap. to produce in mass so, so there's a lot of um we there are a lot of opinions and interesting things that we could get into here that we probably shouldn't, you know, I don't know. I know. Yeah. It's kind of a bummer to not be able to be fully like, it's scary to express thoughts like these publicly because of how, um, vegans can be people, not just vegans. I mean, it's like a religion. As soon as it gets tribal like that. Yes. And people hold on to their beliefs really strongly. And if you, um, kind of, Again, our intention is not to make anybody feel bad because when you feel hurt, that's when you start to come on the defense and attack back. So we're not trying to attack anyone, by the way. Just <laughs> we're doing our best. Maybe we should stop talking about soy. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, as far as like my body went when we were eating vegetarian, let's say, because it wasn't strict vegan. I'm super hot now. I uh, take my blanket <laughs> off. <laughs> um, I lost a bunch of weight and I think the first month or so I felt really good. Like I felt really clear. Um, and I felt great. Like I had good energy and stuff, but over time I just lost a lot of muscle mass and got to the point where I wasn't as healthy as I could be. I think you were skinny. Yeah. I don't think I really noticed it. Like I never looked at you and was like, you are so skinny. Yeah. But now I look at you and I'm like, Ooh, you are so Fat. Such a man. <laughs> no, you're not fat at all. He but, just weighed himself and Yeah. I'm starting to push two hondo. That is again. so crazy. But back then I I think I was down to like I don't know, one sixty, something like that. But my weight fluctuates a bunch. It's so like at the beginning of next winter I'll probably be down to like one seventy five, one seventy, something like that. But it moves around a ton. And but I, yeah, I just I think I feel better when I eat a mix of like sure for sure vegetables but also clean meat like sardines and stuff too even. We went to Vegas. We were in uh, camping in Arizona that winter and we went to Vegas to pick up Baron's brother from the airport. And it was Valentine's Day. We have a video of this. It's really cute. And we had a burger and we hadn't had a burger in over a year. But a lot of our a lot of our reasons for not eating meat, like we still continued to not eat very much meat up until just this last year because it's uh, very challenging to store meat in a cooler. It's It was kind of like if we found meat, we would bring it home, cook it that night. And once, Sourcing quality meat was tough right, too. Once we had, I mean, we were really on a kick of learning about health and about our bodies and what worked and what didn't. And we learned on the farm how important it is to get the highest quality foods that you, that you can, as local as possible. And that also reflected in the meats that we were eating. 
we wanted to really just only buy the most quality of meats local if we could and that is often really hard to find as you're on the road as you're moving all the time um, if we did find a, a town that had a butcher and a local farm we would buy like in Oregon we were buying uh, steaks from that butcher all the time same with some places in Colorado interestingly that was like a good health food store or locally sourced vegetables and meat were things that would keep us floating around an area for a minute mm -hmm. because this was shortly after you made your new year's resolution right mm -hmm. and that was to it was really the only new year's resolution i've ever made that i vow to stop feeling bad for spending extra money on higher quality food because before i have this weird i have this fear of money and spending it on things i don't need and um i would always feel guilty for buying the organic broccoli over non-organic and that that year i decided no more and that's not just food related no like you have that sort of mentality with a lot of things yeah like i was a peasant in a past life yeah or like in a uh, i think you were in a recession yeah or, or depression yeah. or whatever so i will be very prepared for our future if we do ever go into one of those yeah but then changing that mindset really made like going to the store to get food a lot easier. Yeah, because then we, we would experiment with different vitamins too. And it was like, this has the potential to be good for us, so let's try it. But let's... up until that point, we didn't really have enough money to not be super frugal. Right. And then as we were living in the scamp and YouTube was kind of picking up, we were able to save all of our money, so then it felt okay. That was our one expense. Our one big outpour of money was into high-quality food. Because we weren't using loads and loads of gas, as people would think, because we weren't really traveling all that much. It was like traveling slowly, I guess. And high quality food really makes you feel good. So that it just improves quality of life in general. So that was a great thing over time to learn that, oh, this is definitely an investment in myself. And it was a good investment. Do you think that it has made a difference? Well, here at the end, or are we there yet? Where? I have a section of like all the things that we've learned that are kind of things oh, okay. that are kind of interesting. I feel like there are lots of things that I've learned that have made a difference, yes. For sure. <laughs> so moving to the next bit that we had, um, saving bacon fat was a big thing for us that we didn't do until, I don't know, the last couple of years. But- that's our one of our primary cooking oils now. So we'll get really high-quality bacon, and whenever we finish making the bacon, we'll save all the fat in a glass jar. And then that's great to cook with. What is this high-quality we keep saying? What like does that high-quality mean? Does high mean? Uh, with bacon, it's lack of preservatives and as locally sourced as possible. Locally sourced, I think, is the big thing because, like, nitrates – or nitrate, whatever, is hard to not have in meats a lot of times. And do you know why that's in bacon? To keep it from spoiling. Isn't it, doesn't it have to do with the, because uh, it's like cured. Oh, there's some like botulism or something that you can get from uh, bacon growing some bacteria on it. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's exactly that, but something to that effect. But I, I think so quality, the biggest thing as far as I'm concerned, if, if I'm defining quality in my mind, it, locally sourced is huge on that list. Like a before certified organic or whatever, because uh, I don't know, the certified organic stuff is kind of cheesy it, or it's kind of uh, cheesy, not necessarily the most quality. It's like a corporate sort of certification that costs a lot of money and there's a lot of local farms that don't have the money and resources to go get organic certified but i think there is an organic practices certification i, I don't think. know if it's even a certification yeah i don't know but like the farm that we worked on wasn't an organic farm like we couldn't say at the farmer's market that they were organic vegetables even though we never put any pesticides or anything on it but we could say that we used all organic practices right and so that's what we look for 
next after local is at least organic practices. Like not loads of pesticides and as little GMO as possible or like not GMO. And there are certain like corn and soy are hard to find cleanly, like without them being genetically modified. And a lot of people argue that genetic modification is totally fine and it's going to be a necessary thing that we'll have That's to adopt worldwide. how you get your oranges without seeds. Right. And apples year-round, they're all clones. and So there's, I don't know, all of this stuff is like wishy-washy, but... Another aspect of buying local produce is when you buy not local produce, even if it is organic, if it's come from across the country, it was harvested before it was ripe. So before all those nutrients really had time to develop and um, kind of get into your food, then it sits on a truck and is brought to you and then you get it. And sometimes it's still not even ripe, like avocados. What? Mm-hmm. But if you buy local, it's harvested just a lot more recently. It doesn't have to be harvested so early. So it just has more nutrients in it. Another thing that we haven't touched on is depleted soils. And how that affects things. Because, I don't know, I was just listening to a podcast and they were saying that you have to, nowadays you have to eat eight oranges to get the level of nutrients that you would get from one orange back in the day. Because our soils are so depleted. And And I guess... from monocrops. Yeah, and just general agriculture practices. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. It's so hard. There's so much nuance to this that it's hard to even, like, quickly say even my opinion, because everything, like, it took a lot of building to get my thinking where it is currently. But I don't know. As locally sourced as possible, relatively organic practices, and then also just, like, a mix of different things. Like, it's probably not best to eat one thing all the time. Because even with Camp's diet, it was interesting. Getting his allergy test, he developed, like, um, antibodies to the foods that we had been giving him most recently. So it was like he was becoming, like he was having a histamine response to whatever foods that we were giving him most frequently, which it's like you're getting allergic to the foods that you eat a lot because your body has to build, um, build things to break it down or to fight the things that the plant has in them to make you not want to eat them, you know? Whole foods is also something that, like foods that are whole. Um, like not processed? Yes, that's a big part of quality food is buying um, things with the fewest amount of ingredients. Uh, That's a big thing that I never used to do that I definitely do now. I'm that like geek. I'll flip over anything that I'm about to buy and read the ingredients list. Well, if you're thinking you're buying some delicious-ass juice, you (laughs) look at the ingredients and it's got preservatives, coloring, natural flavors... It has um, apple puree and then the rest is like, yeah, I mean, that's not good for you. <laughs> that's not. So it, I don't know. You might as well just drink water and add right. sugar to it. And that would be healthier. Right. But I don't know. It's all, it's all difficult. I, I think like with all of this, I think it, you can, by analyzing it too much and getting too caught up in trying to regulate your diet and eat everything as clean as possible or as great as possible, that can also be unhealthy. Like overanalyzing mm-hmm. and dwelling on things mm. and then punishing yourself mentally whenever mm. you mess up. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, thousand percent. That's like dairy. I've gone, I have a love-hate relationship with dairy because I've just kicked myself for eating it because it feels like I feel better when I do. But then I start eating it again and I feel fine. And then I have, I I just try, I think so badly that um, all these different types of foods are just going to save me and give me a totally healthy period. But it's just, we have so many factors in life that contribute to our overall health, not just food. Um, Yeah, anyway. Yeah, good points. So, um, learning about hunting, because that was a, like, in all the research that I've done, like factory farms, I think are agreeably not great for the cow or the people or the land that they're on. 
same with pig farming and everything else if it's done in a terrible way. Chickens. That said, it, I think farming can be done, like animal husbandry can be done in a clean way that's regenerative. Like if you watch the big little farm or different, like if people do it intelligently, I think it can be done well and in a humane way. Um, mm. Like kind of cyclical, what's that called? My brother's old brewery he used to work for, they would take their spent grain and feed it to a local pig farm. So the pigs would eat that. Then the pigs that were butchered would come and serve their meat to the local restaurants where my brother's beer was sold. So it was kind of like a cyclical local. Yeah. Uh, I forget what, what they called that. but. And this is hard, too, because it's like I don't want animals to die, clearly. But no matter what we eat, animals or things die. Like whether like even when you eat plants, like there's still blood on our hands. Because, one, you're killing the plants. And you could argue that plants are like the most sentient and highly evolved things on the earth. So probably not great to kill plants. And then, two, to kill or to harvest and grow all these plants, you have to kill lots of animals. Whether it's through organic pesticides or inorganic pesticides. Or running the combine and mowing over all the garden snakes and or gardener snakes and everything else. Groundhogs, mice. Foxes. And then all the bugs too, like bugs are also living beings and you can't, like it's very difficult to grow vegetables without killing a lot of things. And manure, fertilizer, you're either using a highly processed synthetic fertilizer or you're using cow manure. Yeah. And some, most of the synthetic fertilizers, I don't know about most, but a lot of them are fossil fuel based. So you're still using dead animals to fertilize the plants, even if you're trying to do it without eating any animals it's very much a cycle of life and death right my one of my favorite books ishmael talks about this not directly but it's a really great book if you haven't read it but yeah it's it's tough because initially i was thinking that the best way to eat or the most ethical way to eat is exclusively vegetables and i still think there's merit to that but at the same time you can't or i haven't found a way to eat vegetables that like spares all life. And even still, like you're still killing the plants that you're eating. So I don't know. It's, it is interesting that it's a moral, like there's a lot of debate on either side of the moral landscape. I think we anthropomorphize animals and make them more human. Whereas it's harder to do that with plants. So then we, uh, kind of revere animal life over plant life feeling like killing a plant is it's interesting though like what okay so say like the biggest or just a redwood that's hundreds of years old right if if you had to choose between killing a redwood and a mouse which would you choose you'd probably a lot of people would probably choose a mouse right and that's that's saying that a plant is like more reverent or more um, more worthy of being alive than an animal is. So I don't know. The whole thing's hard. I think we have to revere like all life equally and then just try to navigate it without having a, like with having as little negative impact as possible. Cause like you could argue with, let's say, um, through hunting, let's say we killed an elk, right? Haven't yet, but let's say we get an elk then that's one animal. Whereas if, and and that would feed us like for the whole year. So the amount of lives, like if all lives are created equal, the amount of lives that we would save by taking one life is astronomical. Right. Cause like how many chickens would you have to kill to equate to mm. one elk mm. or how many plants would you have to eat that sacrificed? How many loads of animals in their harvest, you know? True. So, I don't know. There's lots of ways to look at this, and it's not as cut and dry as we would like to believe, I don't think. And with our purpose of wanting to eat vegetarian for ecological reasons, by eating an elk, we there is no uh, packaging. Well, no, there is, I guess, yeah. after it's processed. There's no transport, fuel expenditure. There's no... Um, there still is. It's just like an order of magnitude less. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
Like we still have to drive. It's not getting being put on trucks and shipped across the country. It's very much kind of a, and then using the whole animal, we get so much, so many different types of things, bone broth, so many different cuts of meat. We get the hide, all kinds of things just from one animal versus, I don't know. I keep saying, I don't know, because I just don't. Well, it's hard to not implicate yourself and speak in ways that would offend people. Then there's the other side of it. You can argue every side up and down, left and right. Right. Like I could steel man or straw man either or any position of this pretty well to the point where it's like, I don't know. I, uh, yeah, I could make just as good of an argument for any perspective in this. And this is just through experimentation. This is the route that we've gotten to and the um, path that we are currently choosing. But like I said, it could very much evolve. But I think the more, the more, uh, interaction and the more responsibility that we take for our own food and the harvesting of it and everything, the better that I feel and the more, uh, like, I don't know, I just feel better psychologically and physically. Like I would rather have, like in harvesting deer this year, I'd rather have that blood on my hands and to pass it off on somebody else and then not experience that all of the emotions and the sadness that goes with killing an animal. Cause I can't, I do, I don't like killing animals at all. Like killing mice or flies or whatever. Like I don't like it, but I think experiencing that and knowing what that feels like and experiencing in that like remorse and, um, gratitude is really important too. So I don't know. It's a really nuanced subject. And then in the future, like what, if we are going to forecast forward, what is our, what are we eating and how are we doing that? Our goal would be self-sustainability, growing all of our own produce and hunting for fish, for small game, for larger game, um, elk, deer, antelope, having just a kind of well-rounded diet of um, wild food, foraging, and then getting into food preservation and storage building a root cellar, canning, dehydrating, smoking. Oh, I cannot wait. Making tinctures, making teas. And we probably won't have much of a garden going on this year, unfortunately, because we're going to spend most of our time in the growing months working on our house. But one of the major things that we're going to integrate into our house is a garden. We would have started with a greenhouse if we could have, but we have to have a house. We actually had somebody reach out to us that is offering to donate us a portable geodesic dome. Like a soft-sided geodesic dome. Yeah, that we might, well, I think we're going to go pick it up like later this week or Mm -hmm. something. So maybe we will be able to get started a little bit on some easy stuff. Yeah, we'll have to see how it does in the wind. Yeah. We have strong winds. I wanted to mention a few things that we've learned from trial and error in uh, the foods that we've eaten and the foods that we've eliminated and, and all that. Yeah? You want to sure. hear about that? Uh, yes. So uh, I've talked a lot about my Raynaud's in the past. Raynaud's is um, like your phalanges go numb, turn white. And it's still a syndrome that isn't It's an autoimmune understood. issue. Yeah. It can be um, caused by other autoimmune issues. I think it can be caused by like I don't know. I think there's two types. I don't know what. I haven't been diagnosed, but like when my fingers turn white and my toes turn white, it's like, oh, this is probably Raynaud's. But this winter, for some reason, and I have a theory, but it it was like right around Christmas, I said to you that I haven't had Raynaud's flare up in my fingers since I can remember. I haven't, it hasn't been an issue for me this winter. My toes, on the other hand, with snowboarding, that's been a different story. I've got, I think I have some nerve damage on my toes from having just totally numb toes in my snowboarding boots for a whole day, days on end. But anyway, my fingers have just not been going numb at night, during the day. Like, I am I have been washing my hands in the snow. Um, of course, my hands get cold like they do when they're cold, you know? But they don't go white. They're not going white. I haven't seen that in so long. And... 
it was Baron who said, maybe it's because of all the red meat that we've been eating over the last year. I don't know. But we have been eating, like, everyday meat. Well, since we got the deer, is that what you mean, or prior to but that? But even too? before that, moving, living here on our land, we've been able to buy local pork, yeah, uh, local chicken, just local meats at the store. So not exclusively red meat, but eating no. more meat than we had in the past. More fish, even. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. That's really the only thing that's... I don't know. There are lots of variables for yeah. sure. But. I mean, even like clean water. Well, we have had this Berkey for years. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like to think that my addition of red meat is um, helping my body. Yeah, something is because my Raynaud's has not been flaring up this winter, which is a really big deal. You want to talk a little bit about probiotics? Yeah, I can't off the top of my head. Maybe we'll put it in the show notes. But there's we've experimented with a lot of like capsule probiotics throughout and we drink kombucha but i'm not totally convinced that kombuchas do anything for us aside from being like a soda that's my mom will freak out at you saying that i mean it's like she's basically immortal because she drinks so much kombucha yeah i don't know we can we can argue about that later but the we've tried a lot of different probiotics and i don't know last year or something we kind of agreed that we would just as we ran out of probiotics, we would buy them and like take them daily to see what the fuss was about. Cause we would buy, we've bought them in the past, but then we'd like, I don't know. It just feels bad to spend that much money on something that you like a, any kind of vitamin or something. It's like a dollar a day. Yeah. It just feels like there's no proof, but we found these probiotics that, um, I've been taking for a while and they've like made my bowel movements wonderfully predictable and great so i don't and i haven't had any stomach aches i'm not having problems like digesting anything i had kind of a flu like issue when we were back in kansas city renovating the scamp a year just over a year ago and i we got some probiotics to try to help my gut and didn't we never stopped taking them after that and i my stomach aches have been almost gone I would have digestive issues and I don't think probiotics exactly are the answer for stomach aches. It depends like it's case to case because if you fill a gut without any type of bacteria in it from like a standard American diet that doesn't have any good bacteria in your gut, if you then fill it with a bunch of bacteria that's foreign, I think that that can cause some issues. Yeah, that makes sense. But we, I don't know. It seems to be working. And they so. do say that when you get probiotics, you want to start on lower strains so that you don't just flood your gut with, I think we're on like 50 billion now, but we probably started on five. It just is funny. What? 50 billion. Like, <laughs> I know. What? All these little bacteria, yeah. 50 billion of them. Uh, oh. Another thing, do you want to hit on gluten? We do not eat. It's like... For us, it's almost more carb-focused. We don't need to have carbs and bread with every single meal. You'll see in the last video, I made breakfast of um, cheese and salami, blueberries and spinach. I didn't have any crackers with that because it, I don't know, we just got, we've gotten used to not needing to have a carb with every single meal like we always had in the past. And that's more consequential in our experience than- Than just straight gluten. Than just about anything, really. Yeah, because then if you're gonna swip, swap it with a swip swap with a glu- gluten-free cracker, it's kind of like, well, why don't you just let's see how it goes without the cracker. That said, I think some people clearly are hypersensitive to gluten. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and not knocking it at all. And I think everyone is probably sensitive to it, at least on a low level. Mm-hmm. Like it causes inflammation, and I think there are a lot of things out there that we are all at least mildly allergic to. There's something too that uh, is sp- glyphosates that I think that's sprayed on the wheat. And so when you're eating a ton of bread, that can be something triggering as well for all the different reasons. There's so much, so much to learn. So, so much. But that all that to say, um, gluten. Is a thing. 
was a thing. And I don't know that it's always a bad thing, but... Dairy, we have been eating... I have been incorporating it quite a lot lately. Whereas before, it's I have almost eliminated it entirely for long periods of time. But now, what we're doing instead is raw. Raw dairy, which is has not been heated to break down all the bacteria. Oh, I just got like this image in my mind that we think or we watch this like 10 years from now and we're like, oh, we knew nothing back then. That will definitely be the case. Yeah. But eating, um, we have a neighbor who has a dairy farm and she also has just her own cows and she offers the neighborhood a cow share. One of those things where you can buy a part of the cow in order to get raw milk and um we might do that that just seems like the best if we're, if i'm going to eat dairy it's just like if i'm going to eat meat let's do the highest quality that we can do if we can afford it and if we have meals where we want to eat dairy let's send it but with good dairy yeah i it think that's the, the moral of the story all the fat is good fat the moral extent. of the story is try to source things locally do what feels good in the long term and health. I would love, I would really love to um, hear what you guys have done and what has worked for you. Yeah. It's probably easiest if you comment on the YouTube video, if you're just listening, jump in and um, leave your own personal research and thoughts and ideas on the table because we all have so much to learn from each other, but at the end of the day, all of our bodies are so different that we, it's not, there is no, no book, no guidebook for all of us. We do have two blog posts though, one on my site and one on yours that talk about food as fuel and mm. all that kind of stuff. Ooh, and oh my God, in Baron's book coming out, he has a whole chapter on food as fuel. Yep. And it's going to be awesome. Is that all? I think so. Oh, um, we didn't mention our sponsor for today, which is elsaray.com. Thank you, elsaray.com. She, me, I am going to be um, selling a few rings really soon. I think I I will. Look, Elsa made me a ring. It's really cool. Maybe we'll show this in a close-up on. uh, I'll just stick your finger up there. On Instagram. I'll put it on there. Um, I'm going to share this on YouTube, either making a post or talking about it in a video, because I think that's where all of you have been so supportive here that Instagram is usually where I would start, but I've decided I'm going to start on YouTube and hopefully, oh no, maybe I should start with Patreon, give them a link, early access or something. I don't know. I'll tell everybody about it when I sell it, but it'll be in the next couple weeks. So cool. look out for some cool rings. Thank you, Elsaray.com. You are really just, just the best. <laughs> That's all. (laughs) Thank you guys for watching and listening. We appreciate you. We'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us. Please give us a five-star review if you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information on this episode, head over to my website, normal2nomad.com, which is linked in the show notes. And if you want to see what we're up to, visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Elsa Ray.